Welcome, everybody, to our latest podcast, which is being recorded on Monday, the 26th of September in the afternoon, which could prove to be quite relevant. Last week was a monumental week for central banks. So we're here to discuss that uh, today. I'm joined by Robert and John. And let's recap on Wednesday, Federal Reserve in the US increased their base rate by 75 basis points, which was expected. But more importantly, they indicated that interest rates would probably end up one whole percentage higher than they thought. Then on Thursday, the Bank of England increased interest rates by half a percent. Some people wanted it to go up more. The market reacted badly to that. Sterling reacted badly. And then we had the mini budget on Friday, which the market reacted badly to. So Sterling has fallen out of bed. What are your thoughts, John? On central bankers, I think we've, I think we've been there. We've been there before, haven't we? So they're now having to ratchet them higher than they thought they would do. If you have any handle on on this subject, well, they've got there in the end, haven't they? But only after being faced with their own utter incompetence. So they're playing catch up to such a degree. Whether, say, the Fed have still got another, another full point to go, I mean, who knows? The inflationary cat is is out of the bag and it's not going to be that easy to put it back in. I, I certainly don't take anything that these folks say as as gospel. They haven't got anything right yet. So um why why should they start now? I think what you're seeing is the the, the catastrophic pig's ear of monetary policy by the ECB, by the Bank of England, by the Fed, by all all major you know, developed uh, countries, central banks. And of course, the other thing which we saw last week was the change of government in Sweden, which has moved to a right wing government. And then yesterday, the Italians had their general election and again have moved to a centre right party. So the treasury markets are not particularly happy about that. Ten year Italian debt is well north of 4% now. Our 10 year debt is 4.1%. It was 4.2% at one stage. So a lot of the chickens are coming home to roost. I would agree. This cake has been baking for a long time. But um, as our last article was um, walking in a liberal winter land, I think the title is quite opposite. Robert, I'm sure you agree that uh, portfolios have performed reasonably well for us, helped especially by the fact that we have concentrated on overseas stocks, both managed funds and direct equities, and have not focused too much on domestic stocks. And the, the collapse of the pound does appear to be helping considerably at the moment. I mean, yeah, anyone who's got a FTSE tracker, they were looking at what? An index worth 7,500 not so long ago, it's now worth 7,000. So, FTSE trackers ain't all what they purport to be. It was about this level at the end of 1999. So, And the other thing is that we've avoided various multi-asset uh, funds, which people have been pushing for a long time now. I don't know whether you've watched the commercial property trusts, um, but some of those trusts have fallen 40% since April which is a very, very worrying number. And where do they go from here? And again, we've avoided bonds uh, for many, many years now. And there are, uh, with interest rates going up, the price of bonds has collapsed. The safe investments, which so many people have bought, and their capital is being eroded at the rate of 10% a year by inflation. 
So returning to the uh, mini budget last week, John, how do you think that is going to work? I'm not sure it will work, but it's it's quite clearly a roll of the dice on growth and trying to differentiate things here, certainly with uh, countries in the EU, and to try and do what Mrs T did all those years ago when she took higher rate tax down from ludicrous levels to what was it 40 percent and um the overall tax take went went up despite the fact that obviously the average tax rate fell so i think that's what list trust is uh is attempting it is a gamble because of course we're ending up with a lot of borrowing whether it works or not uh, who knows she hasn't got too much time on her side before the next election but the fact that she's borrowing so much money that's why sterling has weakened it's yeah it's a gamble and um she's probably got a couple of years to try and pull it off i'm not convinced that it is going to work and while personally uh, i'm all in favor of of uh, a lower taxation economy with the public finances in the state that they're in i'm not convinced that now is the time to be doing it but politicians take gambles and and th- this will be i would think the biggest gamble of her premiership, uh, even though she's only been in the job for two minutes, it's probably going to determine whether she whether whether she, she is still the prime minister after the next election. It's difficult to comprehend what Mr. Starmer would do at this moment in time if he were in power. But what I would like to know, and maybe somebody out there could inform us, they've scrapped the 45% tax rate. And I wonder why they didn't reinstate the personal allowance for people earning between 100 and 125,000. I think that would have helped in certain sectors, particularly the NHS. I don't know. I tend not to exercise myself too much about those things. It's um, back, back here in the real world. It's about looking at companies and um, trying to deploy capital well. And there are still great opportunities to do that. There's no doubt about it. We've had some of our companies have come out with great results. And as you often say, John, if you quote Charlie Munger, it's not a case of what you have bought. It's what you didn't buy. And when I was looking the other day, I made a list of investments hot investments from the last 12 24 months which have collapsed and again i see that music magpie is down 80 percent today on the back of its forecasts and you've got things like aston martin which have collapsed just eat has collapsed there are various companies out there which have um, have done appallingly badly and i'm very pleased to say we've managed to avoid all of those With some kid that brings a pizza on a moped, I'm struggling to see where the excess return on capital is going to come from. It's a commoditized business, whether you're delivering pizzas, fish and chips or burgers, whether it's in Brazil, whether it's in the States, whether it's here. I cannot see that whatever advantage you may manage to secure is not ultimately going to be uh, competed away. So those kind of businesses, everything that we, we do not want, And the fact that they may have performed extremely well over the past two or three years does not mean that they really have true pricing power over the long term. We're not interested in in really what happens in the stock market. We're interested in what happens in the business. And those kind of situations, to me, flag up so many well red flags that any kind of excess return on capital is just going to evaporate. So why bother?
And John, as you've said for a long time, contracting businesses is an area we avoid and look at what's happening there. There's obviously worry that some of these government contracts are not going to be fulfilled. And dare I say, house builders, house builders are now more than 50 percent off their peak. So I think that tells you what the consumer is likely to do or not to do over the next couple of years. And again, areas where we have not been invested at all. Yeah, I, I see so many people saying, oh, there's still a shortage of housing, therefore housing will do well. Well, if loan to income ratios are at nosebleed levels, they're at all time highs. If the cost of borrowing is going to, in percentage terms, what, double or more, I can't see how that isn't going to be anything other than uh, serious headwinds for the housing market. The problem with housing is that every now and again, you know, once in a blue moon, you en- you end up with a near-death experience. You have to have a rescue rights issue, write the land down by whatever percentage, hunker down for the cycle to turn. It's all too easy, as you just mentioned. Some of these house builders have halved in, what, six months? Yeah. So that tells you it's all right saying that they've done very, very well and, and they're on low multiples and they've got cash on their balance sheet. That's the... the at the moment, that, that that's great. But when the cycle turns, and it does, you know, every once a decade or whatever, you can end up with, with, with a serious problem. And again, to me, that's like playing past the parcel with a hand grenade. I'd rather not, not get involved. We, we want businesses that are proven that don't get caught up in that kind of, kind of cycle where at the wrong time, the very existence of the business is called into question. Plenty of people get involved in them, and that's up to them but it's not where we're going. Uh, And we've seen that with a lot of the companies we own, the Nestle's, the Unilever's, the Heineken's, the Ricketts have all been able to pass on their increasing costs to their customers and sales have only fallen very, very marginally. So I think we feel that we are in a strong position at this moment in time. What do you think, Robert? We've always invested in those sort of shares and at times it hasn't looked so brilliant, but you know what we're people who just say to our clients look if, if there's a panic and people want to go and buy the trendy stocks please let them do so but just sit on your hands and uh, patience is a virtue uh, that does pay dividends no doubt about it well a substantial proportion of the businesses that we own now have got their earnings translated back into very weak sterling in not, not only are they managing to pass on more or less sales increases but that's the cherry on the bun on, on the currency Robert, given the volatility of markets, etc., have you had any clients in touch with you concerned about the way the market's moving? I mean, Duncan, to be honest with you, I honestly thought my phone had broken because nothing has happened at all. And for years and years, when we've had crises in the stock market, friends of mine have said, oh, you must be really busy. Your phone must be absolutely buzzing with people ringing you up panicking. And actually... They don't because they know that they're in for the long term and they're very happy with what their investments are. They're very happy with touch with the investment manager, i.e. me. And, you know, they're just not concerned. And that's the way we want our business to be. We don't want to uh, act for people who wake up worried in the middle of the night because the Nikki Dow has fallen by 2%. That's not the sort of person we want, is it? 
No. We go to great lengths to make it clear to, to clients or how we invest capital and we invest their capital like we invest ours. And by going to those lengths, I think we end up with the right kind of clients. There are some people out there who don't fit our mold and it's better that they don't become clients here. So I think that's the answer. I haven't had anybody um, ringing me up worrying or whatever. They know the score from the moment they step through the door. If I were a betting man, I'd say Duncan had nobody either. Correct. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, absolutely correct. I mean, I'm always delighted to speak to people. I'm very happy to do that. But no, I've not had any calls. And finally, John, an update on uh, President Putin, please. I, th- I think Putin's problems have, um, have multiplied massively. I totally agree with that. I think his problem now is going to be domestically. Keeping the lid on what's going on in Russia, I think is now going to be increasingly difficult because it's quite clear they've all lied for the last seven months. It's a meat grinder of a war. They haven't achieved very much in, in seven months. And now you, you've got a semi-general mobilisation. And it looks like they're even mobilising people who aren't within the criteria. This is the last mobilisation since 1941. It tells you something. They never mobilised like this when the Soviets went into Afghanistan. And we can argue as to what the true death rate or casualty rate is. But on the numbers that you see... Several months ago, I worked out that if you compare their casualty rate in terms of deaths in this conflict with what happened in Afghanistan, the weekly run rate was something like 100 times greater. And the fact that he's now got a mobilisation probably backs that up. I think when we look back on all this, this will be the moment where the clock started ticking on Putin's reign. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, it's the 70-year-olds, to quote the Beatles, who want to go back to the USSR. And he's getting the 30, 40-year-olds who have been westernised to a certain extent, who have got Adidas, who have got Starbucks, KFC and their mobile phones. They're the ones who, who he's getting to go and fight for them with equipment from the Soviet era and probably have got less than a 10% chance of returning to their young families. The situation couldn't be worse. Well, it was a TV war until last week. Now it's going to be a real war. The dissent is now going to mushroom and he's got a problem. He won't be there by Christmas. I would not be surprised if that was the case. I'm not saying someone's going to either get rid of him or he falls out of a window or whatever else. Because that seems to happen a lot in Russia at the moment. They need to just build bungalows. It'd be a lot safer. If those hospitals were one story, none of this would happen. But I suspect that we will look back at this moment as being once the, once the clock started to tick louder for him. I think his options are narrowing massively. I think Abramovich will be president in the spring. You hear people saying yeah, it could be another hawk that will take over. I don't think another hawk can take over because it's been ultra hawkish that would have led them into this mess. So it will have to be someone who might talk a good game, but in reality, they'll want sanctions coming off. They'll want some form of immunity from ending up in the Hague. And it might be that they get offered the deal. Well, offer up Putin, Shoigu and one or two others to the Hague and the situation can start improving. I would rule nothing off now at all. Let's say tomorrow, 
Putin falls out of a hospital window. I think that's got to be good news for energy prices, i.e. they would weaken grain prices, fertiliser prices, this, this kind of stuff. So there would be an element of disinflation coming back into the system. So I think markets would take that very well. You'd still have you know, recession worries and interest yeah. rate worries. But what you wouldn't have is these external aggravating factors to the same degree. I think folks would be starting to look, look through that and that inflation would, would start to moderate. Thank you all for listening once again. We've put the world to rights, as we always do. We've discussed inflation. We've discussed Mr. Putin. And we very much look forward to uh, distributing our views on the next occasion. You won't be surprised to hear that nothing much has changed in our view. This material shouldn't be considered as advice or an investment recommendation. You should consult an advisor regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority prior to making investment decisions. All investments carry a degree of risk. The value of any investment or income received from it can go up as well as down and you may not get back the amount invested. Information recorded within this podcast was accurate at the time of recording.